and 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome every, everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett, associate editor on the other side of the table. We've got a lot to talk about on the show today. I, so I'm much. pretty excited. Like This is, this is going to be like an episode of PTI more than anything, just with <laughs> how much we have to talk about. So much is going on in the NBA. So much is going on with the Utah Jazz. Jazz have won two in a row. That, as you pointed out to me earlier today, is currently leading the league in terms of win streaks. No other team has won more than two in a row in the NBA right now. So, uh, yes, you're, you're, Utah Jazz could be considered the hottest team in the entire National Basketball Association. How about that? I do consider them that at the moment. <laughs> by the way, am I Wilbon or am I Kornheiser? Uh, He's Cana- Kornheiser's Canadian, right? Yes. So, I'm so you him. can be Kornheiser. Yeah. Fine. I'll be Wilbon. Well, I'm not. My family's Canadian. My whole family's Canadian. I'm essentially American, but I have Canadian citizenship also. Anyway, so much stuff to talk about. Not, <laughs> not my citizenship. Uh, among the topics is your, yes, your Canadian-U.S. dual citizenship. Anyway, um, in this first segment, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about Gordon Hayward. We've got Rudy Gobert. And then the trade deadline is just 10 days away, so we're going to be talking a lot about that about that. I've got seven different trade ideas to run by you, Ben, and you've specifically asked me not to tell you about them so yep. I can get your honest, true opinions on whether or not mm-hmm. I'm crazy. Yeah, I've not heard a single one of these uh, beforehand, although I have an idea or two about what a couple of them might be, but those are just ideas those in my head. Those are secrets, yep. yeah. Um, and, and so last week we gave you a couple ideas on the show, and, and we heard from people that it was a B-plus effort. So we're, we're going to go all out, give you seven trade ideas, see what you can do, See if you guys out in the world like those trades for the Jazz. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben, ben underscore Dowsett on the other side here. Or you can always call in at 877-353-0700 if, if you want to uh, chime in that way. So, But first, I want to talk about maybe the biggest and best news for the Utah Jazz. And that is the emergence of Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's been fantastic over the last 10 games. Uh, let me just read you some stats, Ben, before I have you chime in. 23.9 points, eight, 5.8 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists per game on 50% shooting, 50.3% shooting, and he's shooting 47.7% from three. So, and really, that's, you know, that's top 10 player production. That's, that's yeah, that's like just a slightly light version of LeBron, honestly. Yeah. Like, LeBron <laughs> shoots a little higher percentage, maybe a couple more assists. Remember that Gordon Hayward boast that we, exactly. we attacked him for earlier yeah. in the year that he, he can beat LeBron, he could dominate LeBron one on one or whatever it was? Okay, so that's still probably not true. But, Gordon Hayward's made that leap, and and that last 10 games, by the way, is not just, you know, like me, statistical cherry-picking. That's since Dante Exum's move to the starting lineup. You can make a real case that having Dante in the starting lineup there is giving Gordon Hayward more shots, more opportunities to run the offense, and he's responded by doing really well for the Utah Jazz. Definitely. I don't think that it's as I, I think maybe some might leap to suggest there that it's in the case that Dante Exum is necessarily better than Trey Burke. In fact, I think that what the play that we've seen in that time has maybe indicated the opposite, but 
what it does show us is that the roles and the way that kind of the, the, the roles are working when you put those guys in that particular lineup is playing more to the strengths of Gordon Hayward, who, you know, last year we worried a bit about whether usage was taking a toll on him and whether he wasn't the type of player that could take this many shots and he seems to be putting a little bit of that to rest at this point this year so right far. now it now it's better that he's taking more shots mm-hmm. it, you know you almost want to give him as much as he can take on uh you know and maybe that's because the alternative is is Trey Burke and Joe Ingles and Elijah Millsap and some of the other guys in Utah's backcourt but that being said it, it's his production has been efficient and phenomenal thus far and as a side note he makes the team better too so when he's been on the court in, over the last 10 games the Jazz are 5.8 points per 100 possessions better than average, better than zero. So that means that they're actually one of the top teams in the league when he's on the floor. Now, the Jazz aren't deep enough to to really be a great team. Despite that, they're only 5-5 five and five over those last 10 games. But still, that that's nice. Which that's mean, legitimate that means, star production. And what that means, by the way, is that they're getting killed when he's off the court, which has been <laughs> right. the case all year. I did a piece about it like a month and a half ago or something like that. And with teams like this, like you said, lacking a little bit of the depth and still a lot of young pieces, that's kind of natural. One the one guy who's clearly the best player on your team, that's going to happen. Yeah, and that makes sense, especially given the complete lack of wing options for the Utah Jazz right now beyond Gordon Hayward. Again, Joe Ingles is hurt. Alec Burks is out for the season. Rodney Hood is out until at least the All-Star break when he'll be reevaluated on that foot injury. So that leaves Elijah Millsap and Ian Clark and Steve Novak. And And I I just looked the number up, by the way. They've been, like, atrocious when he's left the court. They've been (laughs) a minus 11 per 100, which would be, over the full season, worse than the worst team in the league. Yeah, but the good news is is that you can play a Gordon Gordon Hayward Mm -hmm. most of your minutes and Mm -hmm. still be okay. Which is, yeah, which is, I mean, obviously what the Jazz plan on doing. Absolutely. And to answer, uh, we got a little tweet here from Clint Peterson. I, I think we do see him as elite. And I think that if people are not, they're a little behind the times, which for some national folks is natural because maybe they're not watching every Jazz game as obsessively no. as we are. But I, I think it's clear at this point that he's entered the league's elite at his position. There is no metric that says otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can point to consistency, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of players have 10 good stretches. We talked about this on the show last week where guys like, uh, who is it, Jordan Crawford had a player of the week. Uh, who was player of the week this week? It was another weird name. I don't remember. It was somebody weird, though. Yeah, so, like, you know, it, it, just 10 games isn't enough. You have to do a full season of that. And even players like Paul George last year had a great start to the season, had a great 30, 40 games, but then really trailed off at the end. So that's the next step, really, for Gordon Hayward is consistency, playing at this level or near to it for, you know, an entire season. But Do, do you think he was snubbed as an all-star? Uh, I mean, no, not at this point. Like, there's no one in the All-Star game that I think shouldn't have been there, so Gordon Hayward should be there. I agree. But that being said, we we have a couple injuries coming up, like the Anthony Davis, uh-huh. uh, one that he let him out of last night's game against the Jazz. So, you know, maybe he gets in there as an injury sub. I, I still think that it's pretty unlikely. There are, I've like, been... Dirk Nowitzki might be a candidate from Dirk. Dallas. Um, Mike Conley is the uh, yeah, I think Memphis. Conley is the, almost the guaranteed shoe in for to fill Blake's spot because they still haven't replaced Blake's mm. spot yet, right? Okay. And Blake is for sure going to be out. We know that. I think Conley's basically a shoe in to take that spot. I'd be really surprised if he didn't. But 
honestly, after that, and I've been going over and over this on my Twitter feed, I think that Gordon has a real argument for the next spot after that. I don't think he'll get it. The, a name like Dirk, who has so much history with him, I think is going to be higher on the coach's list. Maybe a guy like Draymond Green as well in Golden State might be, although I wouldn't support that at all. I think, in objectively, I really think Hayward deserves it over a guy like Draymond yeah, Green. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I really think, if you look at value, I compared... Maybe uh, Dwight Howard, but he hasn't Dwight possibly, but he's hurt. No, he's hurt, yeah, and okay. he, so he can't play. Okay. Um, and I, I actually looked today at Dirk versus Gordon. I looked at their numbers for the year, and they're really similar, except if you look at RPM numbers like we discussed, which are, are numbers that factor in teammates and opponents as well, Gordon is leagues better. He's one of the 20th, 20 best RPM players in the league. Dirk's down in the 80s somewhere. So I've got on our show plan for today to ask, is there more room for improvement from Gordon Hayward? But luckily, we just got a tweet from Jordan Wager saying the same thing. Is Gordon Hayward a favorite for most impl- improved player? I don't think so. I mean, I think no. he was too good last season. And you look at like what Jimmy Butler has done in the East and uh, who else? Or even Rudy Gobert has taken a bigger leap just production-wise than Gordon Hayward was. Yeah. Gordon Hayward was, was too good last season. And, and, you know, quite frankly, Gordon Hayward's also only had these 10 games this season that have been like significantly better. But, yeah. you know, it's been nice. It's been good. I don't think he's winning most improved player. No, and there's I think there's also a bit of a thing with – giving the best player on a team or like a, a you know a player who's expected to be great like he is you know they just gave him a max contract extension in the offseason I think there's a bit of a stigma to giving that type of like we could give Anthony Davis most improved player this year but why would we do that he's everybody expected him to be this that good. might be the best pick though like he has I, taken I'm, a ridiculous with, leap this season I, I I think that's a Zach Lowe thing originally and if it is I'm or whoever it is I'm with that person if you're uh, like especially a top five pick, but in my opinion, even most lottery picks who are expected to be above average players or or stars in the NBA, then it shouldn't be a shock when they are, and yeah. they shouldn't win that award. That's why somebody like I mean, but Jimmy Butler was I think a lottery pick was no, like he was league. he was a uh, I believe the thirtieth pick in the draft. Oh, so he was never, so at I'm least stupid. in the twentieth to thirtieth yeah uh, and, range when he was taken. So yeah, and then Rudy Gobert taken twenty seventh overall. Yeah, those guys are the kind of players that you don't necessarily expect to develop. That when they do. It's really encouraging to see. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on. And since we've already named these two guys, it's it's a good segue into this. Uh, Zach Lowe had an article on Rudy Gobert earlier today talking about his leap and his play recently. Then you personally had an article on SaltCityHoops.com about Rudy Gobert posted yesterday, uh, basically talking about how teams have been able to scout him a little bit since then. So, you know, in the first two weeks of the of this kind of... the the. Stretch that got him the name, the Stifle Tower, the the, mm-hmm. the brilliant play that got him noticed throughout the league. He was phenomenal, but since then, he's taken a little bit of a, a step back. Yeah, and you know, I honestly don't think too much of that is is actually anything going wrong with Rudy himself. I think that, and as I, as I wrote in the article, it's, and as you mentioned, teams have, and this is a natural thing, teams scout. You... With a guy like Gobert, there's just coming into the year, there was really limited footage of him. He didn't play that much last year. I think he averaged like 11 minutes a game or something like that. He he played a bit over the summer, but a lot of people don't put too much stock into the summer competitions. And then you get into the season, and he's, it's almost like a Hassan Whiteside, who will make the comparison in a, mo- in a moment, I'm sure, who, when you just haven't seen a guy, and he's going nuts and doing all these things, it takes a little while for you to adjust to those things and to say, here's where we can, here's the little weaknesses that we can exploit. Here's what we can do to get him out of position, so on and so forth. That's kind of happened, unfortunately, a little bit to go bare, uh, particularly defensively. Teams have kind of figured out that he's not... 
an impenetrable force. He's close. He's still dominant at the rim, and that's not going anywhere. But teams have figured out a few little strategies that can kind of move him out of his spots, stop him from being quite as effective. So what are some of those strategies? Um, well, a couple. A lot of it is misdirection. When Rudy has time to set his feet and get into position and leap, there's no chance. There's nobody in the league that can shoot over him. There's, I mean, you're done if, yeah. you're, if you're giving him that advantage. But I, I put in a couple videos, one from Tyler Zeller, one from uh, a couple from craftier guards like a Joe Johnson. Really good pump fakers have been able to get him up in the air a little bit too easily. And guys that can get their shot off really quick, make a good quick move in the post and then get their shot off before he has time to set his feet, that they get it over him before he can kind of jump out, leap, reach those arms up super high and get it blocked. And they've had a little bit of effectiveness there. Opponents percentage at the rim have gone up about 10% or so in the la- in this last maybe two, three-week period, okay. which that's just while he's on the floor total, not right. only while he's near the rim, so that there could be noise with that. There could they be might other... be extending him on the pick-and-roll, exactly. bringing him away from the paint. Exactly. They're, they're taking strategies, effectively, to limit the areas where they know he's extremely effective. And that's, you know, that's exactly that's what I'd do if I was an <laughs> offensive coach yeah. against them. I'd pull him as far away from the basket as possible all the time. Right. No, and that makes sense. And, and that's been reflected in his stats. So just, you, you talked about this kind of January 1st through the, tw- through the 18th period in your piece, kind of that two weeks where again, he was a toast of the league and he was the Jazz's best per possession player. When he mm. was on the court, the Jazz were amazing. When he was off it, again, the Jazz were the below average team that the record shows that they are. Now, since then, though, he's actually been the Jazz's worst rotation player on and off the court. And his cancer's been playing well. And that's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But that being said, he also has just hasn't been able to impact the game as much because teams are starting to scout for him. Yeah, exactly. And and they've they've scouted for him on the other end as well. His own individual numbers offensively have actually improved a tad. He's but that that's really variable because it's not like Rudy's ever taking jump shots. He's only taking shots really close to the rim. So when his field goal percentage improves, you kind of take that with a grain of salt. It's just he did better on his layups around the hoop and his offensive putbacks and things like that. But they've done a sort of some of the same things, just limiting the areas where he's effective. We know he's most effective as a role man on pick and rolls near the hoop and on offensive rebounds. Teams have been doing a little bit better at hacking him before he can get his dunks. That way he's got to make free throws. He's only shooting in the mid-60s there, which is still better than last year, but isn't very good overall. They Essentially, again, they're finding the more effective way. You can't shut a guy like this down completely. He's proven himself to be a force in the league, but there are ways you can limit his effectiveness, and now it's going to be back. The ball's back in his court, if you will, to kind of adjust to that, and I have every every confidence that he will based on what we've seen from him in such a short time yeah I think Zach Lowe's actually pointed some of those out already where he's he is taking a dribble before he goes to the hoop or he is mm-hmm. on the pick and roll when it, when a guy goes in front he has been able to make those sort of those outlet passes to the three-point corners try to get those open shots for his teammates and, and that's been promising it's just I, I think Rudy needs to realize that yes he's done great but you know there's still so much more development mm-hmm. for him to have before he's legitimately you know a consistent game-changing player on it on both ends that the Jazz and he and I, I think most people in the league think that he can be absolutely and he, you know I've seen nothing from him in the times I've talked to him the time the interviews you see with him and everything he seems really driven to me to be he wants to be 
great. He wants to be starting. He wants to be known. He would like this is a guy with a lot of ambition. I don't see any problems motivation wise for him. And I think he's got a great coaching staff around him that knows how to develop him. I, I think we're going to see exactly kind of how we did at the start of this season before teams started to adjust to him. The the rapid ascension in some of these skills of his that yeah. came way more quickly than I think many of us had expected. We can see that again on this next level. It's going to be a little more complex, but I'm I'm confident he can do it. Yeah, that's something we talked about before the season is the step from average to good is easier than the step from good to great. And I think that's a step that Rudy Gobert has left. Yep. Let's move on to the trade deadline stuff. So we've got... Again, ten or sorry, nine days until the trade deadline. It's February nineteenth. Uh, so you know, it depends if you count today. But regardless, um, the days go till midnight Eastern. We know that with these GMs, the days. Well, no, go- but, the, but the trade deadline's at one p.m. Mountain. Oh, time. it is. Okay, that's right. So okay. you know, it, yes, obviously these guys are not going to be sleeping until then. But <laughs> uh, the the deadline itself is at one p.m. Mountain time on the nineteenth. So uh, we've got. A couple of different things to think about. Like I said, we've got seven different trade ideas to talk about. We're going to talk about most of those in the next segment and then scatter them throughout the show a little bit. Um, but some, I guess an introduction to those ideas. First of all, Ennis Cantor is the Jazz's biggest trade target for obvious reasons. He's a restricted free agent um, this season, uh, this offseason. And so if they were to lose him in summer, in this summer, then they would get nothing in return. So the idea is, you know, if you're going to lose them anyway, which they haven't decided yet whether or not they're going to do, but, you know, if, if they do decide to go that way, then now is the time to get something in return for him. Now the question is, what can you get for him around the league? What are teams going to give up for two months of Ennis Cantor plus his restricted free agency rights? And then secondly, what do the Jazz want in return? I think the Jazz want shooting. I think the Jazz want better wing play. They would also like to have a third or fourth big in return that would be able to take some of the minutes that Ennis Cantor currently plays. Obviously, he plays a lot right now. Um, at least, you know, maybe not for this season, but in the future, have at least a plan to acquire someone to get those minutes. Um, and, and then maintain flexibility is another goal. So that, you know, if, if you do acquire someone, that they're not going to hurt your long-term cap situation. So let me give you an example. Um, something that's been talked about a little bit is an Ennis Cantor for a Reggie Jackson trade. And again, that kind of makes a lot of sense where both guys are restricted free agents. The Jazz need a point guard wing kind of player. And, um, you know, Ennis Cantor has maybe you want to see what else you can get for him. So, but the problem is if you make that trade, you probably then want to re up Reggie Jackson because otherwise, you know, what's the point? And then all of a sudden you're paying three or four years at $10 million, $11 million, $12 million a year to Reggie Jackson, a player who can't shoot. And, yeah, I mean, he's not a great fit. We've talked about this before. Yeah, I'm not a fan. But that being said, even if that's also your lineup for the next four years, mm-hmm. right? You know you've got your core players of Gordon Hayward, Alec Burks, Derek Favors, Reggie Jackson – locked in long-term, and Dante Exum locked in for three years after that, uh, locked in long-term. And really, with spending that amount of money, you can't really do that much in free agency. You can't do that much in trades. That's your core, and you have to decide whether or not that core is good enough. And with Reggie Jackson... There's only one shooter, so maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be totally straight up. I would, I would rather pay Anis Cantor $11 million a year for four years than, than Reggie Jackson if it came down to it for the Jazz's construct or honestly in a vacuum. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I just don't think Reggie Jackson's a very good basketball player. He can't, he had one aberration sort of year where he, sh- what did he shoot? Uh, I think, 
33% last year. And other than that, he's never been over 27. Well, his three. value is on the defensive end, right? It is. Uh, I just don't think it's as much as we'd like to think it is. He's only 6'3". He's not quite big enough to defend more than the one-position point guard, I don't think, yeah. unless you're playing against a team with a short guard rotation. I, I just don't like him all that much. There's a lot of talk out of Oklahoma City about how he maybe doesn't get along with some of the rest of those teammates, and that's in a locker room that, in by most accounts, is really together and really you know is a, does a very good job with camaraderie and things like that. I, I don't know. I'm not a fan. No, and, and I guess I'm using Reggie Jackson more as an example rather than something that yeah. can actually happen. Yeah, so yeah. I, I do want to also point out that another reason to make an Ennis Cantor move is to look at how the team looks without him. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence that these kind of black hole kind of players like Ennis Cantor, who, you know, quite frankly, never passes. I mean... He, he does at the top of the key, but if you give him the ball within 15 point, 15 feet of the hoop, he's not going to pass it. I mean, the only pass he's ever going to make is going to be the kick back out so he can repost. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It, it's not brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so there is some sense that like in this ball movement offense that Quinn Snyder's instituted in Utah, maybe you see what this offense looks like without having Ennis Cantor there. And then you also get an excellent chance at looking at the favors go bear pairing. Maybe whoever you get in return can fit in, and maybe you get a free look at them. Maybe they're a free agent this summer, and, and you consider whether or not you want to resign them. But it lets you get more information as you make critical decisions this offseason about whether you want to be good immediately or whether you want to wait another season and, and let this rebuild kind of continue. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that if it isn't good without Cantor, you can't get him back at that point. He's no, just but, gone. you know, but. Th- then you could... And I, yeah, so you, then you'd want to make a trade or an acquisition this summer that makes you good again. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, and that's part of the things when, when we're considering these trades, we don't want to lose the flexibility because otherwise, then you're right. If Ennis Cantor is better than what we get back, we're, we're stuck. Yeah. I, and I still think that based on what I think this summer is going to mean for the Jazz, which is a ton in my opinion, I think flexibility is still the largest of those factors that you mentioned that the Jazz need to keep in mind. That's why a deal where they brought back a guy that they might have to pay big this summer or where they kind of locked themselves up salary-wise would be, unless it was a really excellent fit coming back, I, I would generally be uncomfortable with that sort of thing. See, and I, I might look at talent personally before flexibility because i mean uh, quite honestly i i don't know how much more patience i have in in rebuilding for two more seasons oh i definitely i totally agree with that i'm i'm and but you can't have both right you can't have talent and flexibility well no 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 see my thing is that i just i think the ability to accelerate that process is far more free this summer than it is over a trade deadline you're right um and that's that's where that comes into play no I, i i'm Trying to head you into a in a corner here, but you know, yeah, I, and I, I think the Jazz wouldn't make any trade that they didn't have some flexibility and didn't get some talent back for Ennis Cantor, even though you know his value around the league really, really varies depending on who you ask. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, there are a lot of questions there. I'm gonna go ahead and take a break, but on the other side, let's get to those seven questions again. Oh, yes. We'll do it PTI style. We'll do it fast. Uh, the, sorry, those seven trade ideas because they are excited. I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say about them. All right. Um, and we'll see if if the Jazz end up doing any of them if they take our ideas and and put them into play. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking Hoops and the Association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. So I have come up with seven trade ideas for the Jazz trade deadline nine days away. 
Uh, and, and this is Ben's first time hearing them. We're going to run through them and kind of get his first impressions, talk about them like a minute each, and then move on to the next one. So real, cool. Real, real fast, these all work in the trade machine, right? Ish. Yeah. Ish. Okay. I close mean, enough. I, close enough. All right. If not, we can add more, yeah. but uh, these I are think the essentially, yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so, first one Ennis Cantor for Luis Scola and the Pacers 2016 first round pick. Unprotected? No, I mean protected like lottery-ish. Okay, and how many years does Skola have left on the contract? He's got this one, I believe. Just this year? You're putting me Sorry. on the spot, but I, I think so. Yeah, um, if it's just this year on the contract, I would consider it. I would absolutely consider it. Uh, I think Skola, he's a little bit of a different player than Cantor. They are sort of similar in many ways. He's certainly more of a veteran presence, somebody that can help the young guys a little bit more. And if he does indeed expire after this year, which I assume you're looking up he right does, now. Yes. He does, Perfect. Yeah, you know... I would consider that depending on the protections on the pick. That would be the the biggest factor for me, what the protections on the pick were. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to give up a great pick, but if you look at how good the Pacers think that they're going to be in 2016, they'll have Paul George back, so they're, they're probably a lot uh, playoff team in the East, maybe a top playoff team. You know, That's going to be the 20th to 30th pick two years down the road. Plus, yeah. you get a look at Luis Scola, who's not who he was, but... You know, it's okay. That's a reasonable run right out of the gate. I like it, Andy. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Well, then I've got that one's from McCade Pearson, by the way, on Twitter. Thanks so much, McCade. Okay. Good call. Next one, also a Twitter trade. Um, I like this one because it came from a Suns fan, believe it or not. So oh. get your Phoenix mind ready. All right. We've got Ennis Cantor and Trevor Booker for Isaiah Thomas, Miles Plumley, and Gerald Green. Isaiah Thomas, Miles Plumley, Gerald Green. Okay. I do think that, that the Jazz might be reticent to bring back another point guard unless Trey is being sent in the trade. Okay. But if they weren't, and if my math is a little off on that, and they would consider running some, you know, a th- three guard lineup with different varying two guard, two point guard rotations. I don't mind the math in it. I, uh, Booker is a nice asset for Phoenix because of his, the unguaranteed of his nature of his contract next year. Mm-hmm. They, they have a lot of flexibility with him there. Um, I like Isaiah Thomas. He's a fun little player. I do think that one thing Jazz fans would find out real quickly is that if, if they don't like the fact that Trey Burke sometimes guns for his own shot, they're going to think the same thing about Isaiah Thomas real fast. I would just say that. Yeah, that's true. But that being said, Isaiah Thomas is a much better player. He is. He's a much better shooter, significantly better, and he's, a, he's better at the rim, which is a huge deal for a point guard. If you as a coach think that you can get his passing acumen up a little bit, he could be a really great player sometime. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a reasonable contract. His numbers actually decrease from here on out he's at about seven million dollars a year uh and then you look at gerald green who's just an expiring and just kind of a throw into that deal play some three um, and d for this year it gives you an example to see what the jazz look like with a better three and d guy out there yeah which is uh, good miles plumley's a young player a young center um, i actually like the plum lie yeah no i i think they're they're nifty players they're not yeah. stars but you know i i like them and I, I think it makes sense for phoenix to go from five to four there to have trevor booker playing the four rather than miles Plumley at the five given that they already have alex len um that being said i don't think ultimately phoenix does it yeah i was gonna say i don't think they take that even trade. though a suns fan recommended it to, to me so it was their idea not mine i i still love it for the jazz too much i almost feel like i'm ripping them off i'm sorry yeah. jeff one yeah. sec um <laughs> sorry jeff uh, but uh, you know, if in, if their fans are willing to do it, then you know, go ahead and have whoever their GM is. Why am I blanking on his name? Call up Dennis Lindsay, etc., and get that deal done. <laughs> okay, McDonough. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's let's move on to the next one because uh, so far I think Scola is a little bit more reasonable. That's than that the more one, but... that's the more reasonable of the two. Okay. Um, here's another one. So this is a four team deal from Real GM uh, with the. 
Jazz, the Bucks, the Kings, and the Thunder. Jazz, Bucks, Kings, Thunder. Cool. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you the Utah part of the deal. Uh, the Jazz give Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor. Okay. And they get Jason Thompson, Nick Stauskas, Jeremy Lamb, and Ray McCollum. Okay, I was really hoping you were going to say Middleton. At no point did I say Middleton. You, you <laughs> Sorry. Didn't. When you start, when I heard Bucks, I was really hoping you were going to say Middleton. Yeah, um, uh, they're giving up Ilyasova and Dudley in a couple of seconds, and they go to the Kings, and it's a complicated dealio. But I, the the thing I think about that deal immediately when you say it is it just it kind of spreads the Jazz even more thin in terms of rotation pieces. Like yeah. you're bringing in four potential rotation pieces while sending out only two, and we're already. A little bit, not not that we're stacked with talent and we can't get any more talent. We obviously can, but the, the I don't know. I I kind of like that one the least of them so far for the from the Jazz's perspective. It, it's pretty meh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you know, Jason Thompson, meh. Uh, Nick Stauskas, you know, might turn out to be a good shooter, but Jeremy Lamb's pretty meh. I mean, like I do. It think gives Lamb... them a couple good like young guys who are on the books longer than Enes Kanter is. But, you know, you could say the same thing about Trey Burke. Too. Yeah, I, I do think Lamb deserves a better chance with a coach who knows how to use him the right way, not that dude over there in, in OKC. But uh, <laughs> I, he who must not be named. But the You I, wrote I, an entire hate piece on him. I, it wasn't a hate piece. It was close, I suppose. But no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I don't really actually see the... I really think you want to get one player in the deal who is definitely better than the player you're sending out, if possible, especially if you're sending two like the Jazz would be there, and I don't think you are in that deal necessarily. Yeah, and I, I don't know that that's realistic to expect. Like, I, I think Ennis Cantor is a better player than Luis Scola, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes when Ennis Cantor is in the contract situation that he is. Yep. All right, let's go on to trade idea number four. But, you know, let's take a break from the Ennis Cantor trades. This is actually the only one that doesn't involve Ennis. Oh, sorry, Ennis. Uh, Steve Novak for Martel Webster. I got this from a Washington fan. Okay, do they dislike Martel Webster that much? He's not playing very much. He's only playing nine minutes a game this year. I think he's only played in 17 games. Basically, they're looking for the magical Steve Novak shooting that, you know, basically helps one team out of every five that he's on. I might honestly, I know Steve Novak has done very little this year. He's, 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 I mean, he's played a little bit more, I think, than Webster, whose numbers I'm looking at now. Oh, gosh, he's shooting 25% from three, although he's a career 38% yeah. three-point shooter, which isn't the worst thing in the world. He's on the books through 16-17 at a reasonable number. And if, that last year's a team option for him, yeah. so it's really only next season. You know... I don't hate that deal. I don't, I, I don't hate that deal if Washington would take him. And I, I mean, you do want to make some inquiries as to why in the world is he only playing nine minutes a game or whatever he's playing. Well, because they've there. got a uh, they've got kind of a stop at at, at this uh, small forward position. So they've got Paul Pierce, obviously. Uh, they've got Otto Porter, who's playing well. They've got Serafin, who can play there a little bit. I mean. Uh, it's worrisome when a guy like Kevin Serafin is getting minutes over I you. Guess. Like, I don't know if I want to put that as a, a, a real piece of the Jazz's big rotation going forward. Fair. And, you know, 5.8 million isn't a lot. And as you said, there is the player option on that, or the team option on that final year. But thing, you need every dollar you can get here for the Jazz. And if you, if he turns out to be a nothing to a zero where you can't play him, that money's on your books next year, no matter what. Yeah. And but so is Steve Novak's money. True, but it's, less, but it's less. It's less. Yeah. I'd still do it. I mean, I, I'd still do Martel Webster for Steve Novak. I, think I, I just think the talent discrepancies there. Yeah. Steve Novak's, you know, last night not, notwithstanding is not going to help you. I think Martel Webster has a chance to help you as, as he has a couple of teams, most notably Portland and, and Washington. Yeah. Two seasons. I ago. can't say I've watched him close enough to know enough about his defense, but if it's a decent upgrade on Novak's, which isn't hard to imagine, then yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give it a shot. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So that's trade idea number four. Let's do number five. Uh, which one should be next? Okay, how about this one? This is a three-team deal involving the Thunder, the Warriors, and the Jazz. We'd send Ennis Cantor to Oklahoma City. Kendrick Perkins would go to Golden State. And the Jazz would get David Lee along with a first probably from the Thunder or Alex Sabrinas, uh, who we talked about on the show last year or, or last week is... Uh, the 32nd pick in 2013, nice player playing in Barcelona. is probably a, a, a two-guard. He can um, shoot. He can and, definitely and he shoot can shoot. But, you know, David Lee obviously has a big cap number for next year. That is massive. $15.5 million for next year. For that reason alone, I'm kind of saying no. I, I just don't. I, I, As I've said a million times, I believe that this summer is the summer for the Jazz to, to be cashing in and bringing in the long, the that one more you know, sort of veteranish piece, whether it's a Millsap or a uh, Danny Green, whoever, I and that becomes basically impossible if you put that kind of money on your books. Yeah. So the question is kind of like, how likely is it that the Jazz are able to sign one of those free agents? And then you look at next summer's free agents, or I guess two summers free agents from now, and they are quite, quite good. I mean, yeah. significantly better than this year's class. So again, you'd be pushing off the the window, if you will, to make that signing. Um, I'm just but it really, might be a smart move for 2017. I'm just really big on it for this summer for a variety of reasons. Gordon Hayward's contract is one of them, a number of things like that. I, I, I'm just not sure about taking that kind of money on for this summer. Yeah, some of that might be down to ownership, too, whether or not they want to win next season or have the patience to wait until the next yeah, season. Yeah, and you have to think about the fan base as well. This is a fan base that's not accustomed to this. No, we want to win. Mm-hmm. I want to win, anyway. Okay, what's that? Five down. That's five, five down. down. Two to Next go. Next one's super simple. Ennis Cantor, Chris Middleton, swap. Yep, gimme, <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. I mean, I don't think the Bucks do that. Chris Middleton's plus minus numbers have been oh, incredible awesome. this year. He's awesome. And so I, I think Bucks fans ultimately say no. But like in terms of uh, both guys are restricted free agents this season, it makes sense positionally. I think uh, yep. because the Bucks have have some nice talent on the wings. Uh, you know, the Jazz obviously don't, other than Gordon Hayward and, you know, the injured Alec Burks. Uh, so, you know, both guys got to look, both teams got to look at someone and decide whether or not to match them. Uh, I, I would do that. I don't think the Bucks do without oh, adding do in, in a, a second or first or something. I would add a second round pick to do that deal. Uh, would you do, would you add in the Warriors first? I was just thinking about that because I figured you'd ask. Ugh, that's really close. Honestly, I would give serious consideration to it because you know what? The Warriors are awesome, and they're not going to stop being awesome by 2017. Yeah. They're, 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 that pick is going to be in the late 20s. They're, there's no way it's not, and unless the lottery changes. They change the lottery format, which we don't know anything about, and assuming the current level of knowledge we have, that pick's going to be very late 20s. I would, you know, I, I actually i am going to say yes. I would do that, too. I would send yeah. Cantor and that pick to get Middleton, and then I would match a fairly reasonable sum for him this summer in in restricted free agency. I think I really really like Chris Middleton. I'm going to be writing about him soon uh, for a different site. But okay. I, yeah, I really really like him. So, I, I mean, I'm excited to read it because yeah, that that would be a fun acquisition. Mm-hmm. All right, and then our last trade is a fun one. This is a three team trade with San Antonio and Boston. So this would send Ennis Cantor and Steve Novak. Uh, Ennis Cantor to San Antonio, Steve Novak to Boston. The Jazz would get Corey Joseph, Avery, Brad- a- Avery Bradley, the rights to Deshaun Thomas, and a 2016 second rounder. Um, I don't know much about Deshaun Thomas, but I like the rest of it. I love Avery Bradley. Big you do, fan. even though he's not a shooter. Yeah, I'm a b- b- big fan of Avery. Okay, Bradley. tell me, tell me why. Well, first of all, I think that he, I like his stroke, and that he, ha- I think that in an offense that emphasizes good spacing and good shooting like the Jazz are kind of trying to build themselves toward that he is does have the possibility of being a better shooter than his numbers have represented. I mean, he, the guy shot 39% from 3 last year and he's at 30 about 30 
35 and a half this year. So he's not, he's, he's, not a, a, he's a better shooter, shooter than anyone else suggests. Yeah, he's a better sh- and, a, <laughs> and a way better wing defender. He's the kind of three and D guy. Maybe the three part of it isn't quite as awesome as you, it's not Wesley Matthews style three, but it's still, it's good enough and he can play great defense, can guard both position, both the guard positions, which to me is a huge, huge deal. Especially if Trey Burke's going to be on the team long term, you want guys that can do that. And yeah, I like that deal potentially. By the way, San Antonio would only be receiving Enes Kanter. Boston would also be receiving, so they'd be getting Jeff Novak, Jeff Ayers from from the Spurs, as well as Kyle Anderson, and then another, I believe, first or second round pick. Feels so. like the Spurs are sending a lot in that deal. Yeah, but they're yeah, that's true. They're getting Enes Kanter. They're back, getting future twenty sixteen I mean, Finals MVP Enes Kanter in that in that <laughs> scenario. That's the thing, though. It's like you know, how much is Kyle Anderson and and Corey Joseph really worth? Ah, Corey Joseph, not all that much. Kyle Anderson could be worth something. I think he's one of those guys that it's going to be really hard to tell for another year or two. But uh, Avery Bradley's the main piece that sticks out of that one to me. I don't think Boston lets him go, to be honest. I think Boston yeah. likes him as much as I do. I, I think that's possible. And, you know, he does have he does have the extension, right? So yeah. they have him for the next three years. Yeah. All right. So out of those seven trades, which ones did you like best? For the Jazz or as overall balanced? Trades. Uh, okay, let's do overall balance trades. Uh, the first one you mentioned was with Scola. Was it's not a huge trade, but it was pr- it was pretty close. I didn't mind that okay, one. Okay, that was Scola and Indiana's 2016 first rounder for um, Anis Cantor. For those who who weren't listening, I think the possibility of Cantor plus Golden State's first rounder for Middleton isn't that unrealistic because Middleton's no. unre- because Middleton's restricted like Cantor is. Um, yeah, no, I mean you could if you if you wanted Middleton, you could just pay him. This summer, right? Just give him a good contract and go with it. Yeah, which, by the way, I totally advocate the Jazz doing this summer. Okay, fair enough. I I like that David Lee deal. I like I like the idea a little bit because I am just so curious how a power forward who could pass and shoot reliably would do in this offense with with Quinn Snyder. I just think if we complain about Ennis Cantor's defense, we're going to be doing the exact same thing about David Lee. Only we're going to be paying him triple what we're currently paying Ennis Cantor. Yeah, that's and that's a fair point. I just that that number's too much for me, and I'm I'm never never wavering from this belief that this summer's the summer. Fair. And, and Alex Abrinas, too, is a prospect I like. So that might, yeah. I don't know. There, there are a lot of those I like, but, and we'll maybe make references to them throughout the show. But anyway, on the next side of the segment, we've got AP writer Kareem Copeland joining us talking about, he's, he's new to the Utah market. So we're going to have him on talking about how he got here and have kind of that both local and national perspective on how Gordon Hayward and is doing and, and what the Jazz will be doing in nine days at the trade deadline. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the show. Andy Larson here alongside Ben Dowsett on the other side. So that was a fun segment. We went through seven trades. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that live, as always, our show is streamed on uh, saltcityhoops.com, ESPN700sports.com. And then we also put it up as a podcast every week on Stitcher as well as on iTunes. So check that out as well. If you know, Depending however you want to listen to the show, we've got it covered for you. So we've got a nice little time here to interview uh, Kareem Copeland, who's the new Associated Press beat writer. He's covering the Utah Jazz as well as other Utah local sports. Kareem, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. What's going on, fellas? Hey, not much. Thanks again so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, I, I first of all, since you are new to the market, uh, new to this this job, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of your background, how you got into it, how, and I guess almost your impressions of Utah thus far. <laughs> well, that's a long uh, that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm originally Detroit, and I've had many stops uh, across the way. Um, 
I've been, I've had two stops in Wisconsin, covered the Packers for a couple years. I had two stops in Mississippi. Uh, right before I came here, I was working at AP covering Florida State and the Jameis Winston um, <laughs> events. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, had a stop in Indianapolis, so I worked for NFL.com for a while and covered the Colts and the Pacers. So we've been all over the place. Originally from, I think I said that, originally from Detroit, went to Michigan. So um, this is as far farthest west as I've been so far. So it's been a great experience so far. It's actually kind of crazy. It's, everybody's been so nice here. It's it's almost strange, you know, <laughs> coming from coming being a city kid. You know, people aren't always as uh, aren't always the nicest in the world. Everybody's kind of busy and just going ahead and plowing ahead and doing their own thing. But everybody's been great here. Um, I went and did hiking for the first time this weekend with the wife. So, nice. How was that? Um, and, and where'd you go? Uh, it's Mill Creek Canyon. I think. Yeah. It's called. Hey, yeah. that's a thing. I was there last. <laughs> I was there last week. Perfect. Oh yeah, we went on uh we went on Sunday. So it was cool, you know, once I uh once I was able to some oxygen, I'm still getting used to this thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <up> here. <laughs> but no, it was a good time. We went walking. Um there's uh actually we ran into one guy who decided to um just another example of somebody being nice. He saw us looking at maps and came over and introduced himself and and said, "This is the one you want to go to," and 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 led us over there. So it, it's been pretty crazy. Everybody's been really nice. Kind of um, just kind of jumped in both uh, both feet and been trying to hit the ground running. To tell you the truth, very cool. Well, uh, I I want to ask you then because I I think you've got this cool perspective that's both local, you know, because you have been here and you've been obviously studying the jazz, and then national because you have been so many different places. I want to ask you about Gordon Hayward over the last few games, and in particular, it it's really seems like he's taken a leap recently in, in his production. Are, are you seeing the same thing? And, and I guess, what are your impressions of Gordon Hayward's game? Oh, absolutely. I definitely think it's been a, um, definitely a leap these last couple games. And, you know, he was, it's, it's funny. From, uh, from my perspective, you know, I haven't been just now watching just now being able to watch him every day and from before where, you know, you caught a game every once in a while, he's a lot better than I thought he was. Um, he is, and, and I think the difference these last couple games is he seems to be a lot more aggressive these last couple games. And, and that's, kind of the, that's kind of the thing that um, the impression that I had before was, you know, um, you know, you want your guys to be unselfish. You don't want them to be ball hogs. And you don't want the ball to stop every time they get them. But I, you know, but you've got alpha dogs on your team. When you, when you're when when you're the big dog on the team, sometimes you have to say, "All right, everybody, get out of the way. Let me do my thing." And I didn't think that was really part of his game. But I think last night was a perfect example of that. Down the stretch against the Pelicans, you saw him. You know, with what it was, it right around a minute left. You know, clearing guys out. You know, he went and grabbed that offensive rebound, and you know, I think he put back a five footer, and then the next tripped down, you know, kind of cleared out and just did it himself. And sometimes that's what you need out of your out of your big dog. So that's what I've really been impressed with him. He seems these last couple games he seems a little bit more aggressive than I thought um than I thought previously. And to tell you the truth, I think he's got better handles than I um than I originally thought. I was actually talking to Tony Jones about this um the other day that I thought that was one of the areas that he could improve in, but these last couple games you've seen him split double teams um, you know, make that hard dribble to the basket and then stop, you know, hit that um, uh, pull up on a dime and, you know, kind of hit a little fade away. You know, those those are things that, um, you know, I just didn't know if he had the dribble and had the, had the aggression to do those type of things. So I've been impressed with 
tell you the truth. Yeah, good to hear. So as we've been talking about throughout the show, the trade deadline's nine days away. Uh, what's your read on what the Jazz will be doing or what they're thinking about doing in, in those nine days? You know, uh, if, if you were the Jazz, let me put it that way. If you were the Jazz, what would you be looking to do? Well, the way I look at it is, you know, you made this commitment to go young, right? You made the commitment that, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to stick with this roster that has, you know, what, only one guy who's got more than four years' experience. We're, we're, we're going to go young. We're going to bring in Quinn, and we're going to tell him, hey, we're going to be patient with you and, you know, develop these guys. Well, you know, you kind of got to see it out if that's the decision you're going to – well, from my perspective, if I was running things, that would be the things that I would think of. Now, I know Enos is in kind of a different position with his contract um, about to be up, so there's a decision that has to be made there. But as far as the rest of the guys, you know, this core is going to be here as, you know, if you want to keep them together. And so, and I don't think, and it'd be a little bit different if, you know, you're, you're talking about a team that's already a playoff team and is looking for that next guy to become, you know, a serious contender at winning it all. They're not, the, the team there yet so that that's kind of what i think of when i look at the trade scenarios is you know what what are you looking for are are you trying to bring in you know uh, a number one to be a uh, number one and and drop haywood to uh, drop gordon to be your number two guy are no. you that close yet to to really to competing for a title yet i don't think so so that's not really shouldn't really be a priority right at this moment so um i'm not sure what they're thinking but to me, you know, you made you made the commitment to go young, and you got to kind of stick with it for a couple of years. And like I said, Enos is a kind of a different um, is a different scenario, just because he's about to, his deal is about to be up, and so there's going to have to be a decision there. And you know, and the way he's been playing, he's gonna he's gonna command a ton of money himself. So um, it's kind of a it's kind of an odd situation with you know the way you would the decisions you previously made kind of affect the way you look at the trade market right now interesting i think you're kind of preaching a little bit of a of a patient approach there kind of you know completing the process in its due time rather than trying to speed up any elements of it which i think is a is certainly one way to look at it because you're right this is something that the jazz committed to now uh real quick we only got a couple minutes left before we got to hit the break but give me one minute on you 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 said it yourself Cantor is i mean he's the whole crux of it right now because his situation is as complex as it comes if you're the Jazz, what are you comfortable potentially matching with him in the offseason if he gets an offer in restricted free agency? Is there a number that you've thought of that you'd go to? Ooh, uh, that's actually a really good question. I haven't, I hadn't thought about it in those terms about exactly what number. Um, but I, the way I've looked at it is you've got an opportunity. You know, I think I thought it was really telling the way. Um, the, the way Quinn talked about it the other day after they played Memphis and said, hey, there's not a lot of teams in this league with this kind of size. Um, do you make a commitment to, to, head, to keeping favors, Cantor, and, um, and, and Rudy together? And, and then you've got something unique in this league if you can make it work right. So I think that's the kind of thing you've got to balance and you've got to decide. Because you're not getting rid of Rudy. You're not getting rid of favors. So, you know, do you kind of want this, be able to, Build your team around this size that many teams, uh, many other teams don't have. It's kind of that's another kind of internal decision that you've got to make about how are you going to build 
the core of this roster. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. All right, well, Kareem, thanks so much. We're almost out of time, but uh, tell us where we can get your Twitter and, and where we can read your stuff. Uh, you can find me at, at Kareem Copeland, K-A-R-E-E-M Copeland. Um, and you can find my stuff all over the place. To tell you the <laughs> truth, it's kind of wherever pe- people pick it up. But um, you can uh, always go to uh, the AP website, and and everything of mine will always Perfect. be on there. But you can find us all over the place. Sorry, I talk long. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Cream, so much for joining us. Thanks again. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We have Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. Uh, so, I want first of all, I want to thank Kareem again for joining us because we had to cut him off there with that hard out of the segment, but uh, it was really appreciated. I thought he's he's a great add to the Utah media scene. Absolutely. Especially because he's not only doing jazz, but as the home of the Utes, he'll be doing a lot of Utah uh, coverage as well. So check that out if you're if you're a Utah football, basketball fan. And he's been I know he's everywhere. Doing that. Yeah. He's, I, mean, I did not realize he's been in that so many places as a, you know, as a report that, you know, the Florida State situation must have been really interesting to cover. <laughs> yeah. like, that, that's really cool. You know, I, that's something that later on in life, I'd certainly like to accomplish is that much variety. In is, is following the Jameis Winston following situation the as, Winston as close scandal. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alright, so we have a lot of tweets to read and, and this is a social show so as always, if you want to get your tweets read on, read on air or you know, want to weigh in on whatever we're talking about, please feel free to tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett over here. I want to read just a few of these. Um, so, first of all, we had Andrew Fox was doubting Gordon Hayward's elite status, saying, uh, Jazz podcast talking about Gordon Hayward's elite status? Shocking. <laughs> yes, we are indeed jazz fans, so maybe we're a little bit of homers. But the dude has played legitimately, statistically, objectively great over the last 10 games. Check them RPM statistics. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and... Second of all, uh, we've got Jordy Wynn. At any chance the Bucks would consider Middleton plus either Ursan Ilyasova for John Hen- or John Henson for Ennis Cantor? No. That's way too much. No way. Um, uh, they say no, and yeah, I-, I think pretty easily. The Jazz would need maybe to give if, up way more value there. Maybe if we tossed in our unprotected 2015 first rounder. <laughs> yeah, now maybe if you want to do like... I don't know, Cantor for Urson or John Henson. Maybe they think about it. Probably I think they'd Ursan. think about it for Urson. I think they'd at least consider it. There's been rumors but, for a long time that they want to get rid of him. But I don't think the Jazz would do that because he's no. a very inconsistent player. Extremely. Uh, we've got, let's see, do you guys have any information on how Raul Neto is playing? Remember, he was a second-round stash pick for the Jazz two seasons ago. Is playing in Spain. He's been playing pretty well, actually. Uh we we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, but the Jazz could choose to bring him over next summer mm-hmm. um, if they wanted to. They they would have to buy out his contract, or they could the summer after next, or they could get him as a free agent three seasons from now. So you know, a lot of options for the Jazz there. It wouldn't um, be a huge amount of money to buy out his contract. No, right? it would be actually below the amount of money re- allowed for the NBA to do these sort of things and keep it off the cap. So that okay. would be good. So it wouldn't even count towards the cap. Correct. Now, yep. in terms of his actual play, I've heard some decent things. Haven't had a chance to watch any of those. 
based on what I saw over the summer, which, of course, really small sample and everything, I thought he was at least two steps away from being ready to play in the NBA, even as a backup. But that's just what I thought over the summer, which, again, small sample. Yeah, I mean, his summer league play the first season, though, was actually quite good. So, mm-hmm. but based on that, and, you know, truthfully, I haven't seen a lot of AC or whatever, Mercia video team. I, I, I think that's a team that he's on. I think you're right. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of that. Let's be real. But... Uh, his summer league play has been good. His stats are pretty good for that level. Uh, he's, again, a prospect that the Jazz would actually have to spend a lot of time developing before getting any return there. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Clint Peterson asked me if I can help him unravel the Jazz pace puzzle. I th- yeah, Pointing out the Jazz are tops in passes, but third lowest in assists seems weird. Uh, defenses or scheme? Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I think that's honestly another show. <laughs> yeah. Like that, short, that's, short, real short answer yeah. is... Passes don't equal meaningful passes, necessarily. The Jazz make a lot of passes that are just to set things up with the offense that aren't really, inci- I like to word, use the word incisive. They aren't necessarily incisive passes. And that's a step, absolutely, Clint, that the Jazz need to take. They can't, that they need to, and this is something I've written about, they need to convert those passes into a higher percentage of passes that are really challenging the defense to do things, rather than passes for passes' sake. Exactly, yeah, and, and I think there's some of that too, and I, I think a lot of it, these extra passes are just passing it around at the beginning of the possession to yeah. switch strong side and weak side, which does tend to confuse basic defenses. I do think it's lost its effectiveness for the Jazz. That's, again, you said, though, another no, time. That's, yeah, for another time. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and, and then the last thing, we've got Steeler slash Jazz fan. He's at Khart1968. This is the only year I have ever said they should just stand pat. Usually, I'm, usually I am all for trades and trade rumors. This year, apparently, he's not on board. The, I I hate to be contrary, but I basically disagree with that entirely. My opinion is like 180 degree opposite that. Huh. If you include the summer, if you include this upcoming summer as part of it, which I do in the, in this sort of assessment, but even if you're only including the trade deadline, I think the Jazz have some things that they could at least be looking into, and I absolutely believe they should be doing it. Should and are doing it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. So uh, we've got a, a couple things that I want to talk about. For the rest of the segment, and as always, you can call in uh, or tweet in, calling us at 877-353-0700. That's 877-353-0700. But I want to talk about the Jazz and the, Haw- and the Hawks comparison, because today, Kyle Korver was named the fourth All-Star for uh, the Eastern Conference. A- and, you know, honestly, that got me thinking about and, and talking with some people about how good the Jazz could have been if they kept the three guys in Atlanta that are part of that vaunted starting five, the Damari Carroll, Paul Millsap, and Kyle Korver. So, uh, uh, first of all, could they have kept all three players? I think yes. I mean, all three of those guys were unrestricted free agents who the Jazz let go, seemed very pro-Utah, and and quite frankly, had the Jazz matched the amount of salary that those guys got on the free agent market, I think they would have stayed with Utah. Yeah, I think that's that's easy to say. Now, I, I will preface this with my... Thoughts about now. I'm not saying that what we're doing here is necessarily revisionist history because that tends to have a really negative connotation attached to it. Revisionist history. The but thing it is, is, it is, it is <laughs> true sense. Now, the thing about this is that you're right. I think that the Jazz could have conceivably and fiscally kept all three of those guys. The thing is that the situation now would look very different because they wouldn't have had the same draft picks. They no. wouldn't have made the same moves in free agency. Basically, the whole trickle-down effect that, you know, you go back in time and step somewhere and it changes the whole course of history, That's the, it's the same thing here, where 
it's hard to say what the team would be like now because the team would be very different. Yeah. Some of the young players we have right now would be different young players or would have been traded or who knows what the, you know, what the line would have been right there. Right. But, I mean, some of these decisions were made as recently as last summer. Or I guess yeah. two, two summers, summers ago, ago is what I should say. But, you know, you know, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Alec Burks, Ennis Cantor, and Trey Burke, I think, all still would have been there. Trey Burke might be the only one not. No, because he... Oh, he was before. That's he was right. That that summer, was before so the it's summer, so it's in that same draft. That's Dante Exum is the only one who you might say, well, if the Jazz were better, they don't get Dante. Yeah, and that's, you know, the jury's still very much out on how Dante's going to end up playing. So, so if the Jazz were to keep Paul Millsap... And they were to keep Demario Carroll. Let's start there. Two seasons ago, you know they don't get Rodney Hood and they don't get Dante Axum. I think that's clear that they get they don't get the Rodney Hood pick. Do they get Rudy and Gobert? Dante Axum? Uh, sure, why not? I mean, it was a million dollars on the forty-six pick. Like we, the the Jazz could have made that trade anyway. The, but are their sets of goals the same? If they, and that's that's kind of where it gets fuzzy. Uh, yeah, we won't go like, too deep into it. But they could have. Yeah, I, I I think the Jazz ownership or sorry Jazz front office liked Rudy Gobert enough to go get him regardless of where in the Jazz rebuild they are. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I I I think that makes sense. So now you're looking at a team with Paul Millsap, Ennis Cantor, Derek Favors, Demari Carroll, Gordon Hayward, Alec Burks, Trey Burke. It's a lot of dudes. Yeah, that's that's like a team that's as good as the Hawks. Here's another question because I can't because that's like that's an eight or nine deep rotation. But right? here's here's another question: who who would the coach be? Would the coach be the same? Uh, it'd probably be Ty. Yeah, that's, I mean yeah, maybe that's maybe in, uh, sure, but like. So I'm sorry, I'm that okay. guy. You know, I'm that guy. But, okay, so maybe they hire <laughs> Quinn Snyder instead. Because again, they still could have. Ty's contract still runs out at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Maybe they think, okay, you've done a decent job so far, but not great. We're still looking for someone who can take us to the next level and hire Quinn Snyder or you know, I don't know, George Carl or someone. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, I absolutely. I mean, I think there's no question if you if you say. You know, that Quinn would still be the coach. And if you say that they still got Gobert, who would be, you know, who would definitely be coming off the bench still, but would be a valuable piece there, then, and they wouldn't have Trevor Booker almost for sure. They wouldn't have made that deal over the summer. I think there's, I mean, there's, I think there's almost very little doubt that the Jazz would at least be in competition for that eight seed, if not a little higher. Because basically, then the Jazz don't have, I mean, Kyle Corver's another question, right? Because Kyle Corver left several seasons ago, yeah. went to Chicago, and then to Atlanta. He's one of those ones where the permutations kind of get steep after a while. Because yeah. there's also the the idea that I, I saw one of our SCH writers, Dan Clayton, on Twitter just a few minutes ago saying this, that you can't just assume that his trajectory was going to be the same. And you have to remember that this wasn't Who, all-star. Who's he? Sorry, who? Who's he? Who's the he that he refers to? Corver. Corver. Okay. You can't. At the time, you have to remember that Kyle Corver was not an all star when we traded him, or sorry, right. when we let him go. He was a very good three point shooter, and but he did put up the best three point shooting season in NBA history definitely. in his last season yeah. in a Jazz uniform. And that's not I'm going to throw say, that out. That's no. pretty good shooting. Yeah, and that's, this isn't me saying that the Jazz made the right move by letting him go. I don't think they did. I think if the Jazz could go back and do it again, they would have kept him almost unquestionably. Yeah. But especially for the type of money that he was demanding, which I think you could easily afford and could still afford today. Um, that said, there there are a lot of, as I said, kind of permutations down the line of, of where the team would be had Corver been around that much longer. Would he have improved at the same clip he's improved at? It's possible that the answer is no. It, because, you know, different guys draw their inspiration for their, their bigger leaps from different places, you know? Um, but in a scenario where we can say same exact team, Except right now, except no Booker and no XM, no hood, no XM, no Booker, no hood. But then you add those three guys instead of those three. Boy, 
<laughs> I mean, it's a really good team. It'd be a really fun team to watch. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I do think Kyle Korver is the one though that's a little bit unfair. Although I almost think that maybe he's the worst decision of the three because he was signed initially at such a cheap cost. But... I do. I do agree. I think that's one market efficiency that unfortunately the Jazz were the slightest bit behind the times with, which you can't blame them. Well over half the league was behind the times on that particular. When yeah. was it? When did they let him go? Oh seven. No, I think it was oh eight or oh eight or oh nine. Either way, I, that was just the very start of the league starting to realize how important three-pointers was and were, excuse me, and having that sort of be the in-vogue thing. I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I do agree looking back that it wasn't the right move, but I don't think that they can be too heavily criticized for it. Last Kyle Korver jazz season was 09-2010. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so more a little closer, but I still, uh, this is a really, you know, a last five years revision, and there are still certain teams that still have no idea about that, about this three-point revolution. So, like the Lakers, for example, and their coach. Yeah. So, that, you know, I think you give the Jazz a bit of, you know, they were focusing on different things at the time. And, yeah, they missed a market inefficiency, but hopefully they'll capitalize on it in the next few years. Yeah. And I, I, like, I, I think the Golden State trade that they used the cap space that they could have used to resign Millsap and instead use it on Richard Jefferson and Andres Pedrins, I, I that's a defensible trade, right? Because the idea is that you take a step back last season, dra- get a good draft pick, which the Jazz got in Dante Exum, and then you have a chance at a superstar. Yeah. And, and it's just it, so much of that is going to be a referendum on Dante Exum's development. And if Absolutely. he develops into a superstar, then that trade is brilliant. And if he doesn't, then it's a bad trade. Uh, maybe, but I do think that g- knowing the Jazz's... Uh, what the Jazz are as a mid-market franchise that if you're going to ever have a superstar, it's going to be because you drafted that guy. That's going to be the only way you're ever having a superstar. That to me, the the risk-reward calculus was really close, and I don't blame them at all for making the decision they did. And whether Dante turns out to be the superstar that we're hoping for or not, I think taking that bit of a gamble to try and get him was it was the right move because there's no other way for that to happen in this kind of and we know that the number one thing for winning a title tends to be having one of the 15 best players in the league on your team which maybe i would Gordon say one of the be best five yeah and yeah one of the best you look back at the titles over the last you know certain number of years with the exception of san antonio last year a lot of those teams it's had San one Antonio of the, last year and Detroit in 04. Yeah, and a lot of, and I guess Dirk in, in 11 was debatable whether he's one of the I five best I think he was players. top five. <laughs> he, he may very well have been. And yeah, you know, you look back at it, there's very few examples of teams that, that didn't have one of those players. So I think it's worth the risk to try and get one. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the case. And again, it's just, you know, if, if Dante Exum works out, great. And if not, then no. And I guess you have to put in Rodney Hood in there as well. Mm-hmm. But um and whoever they end up drafting with the 2017 Golden State pick, which is yep. still yet to come, but is not looking like a a lottery pick. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Let's go around the NBA a little bit. There's a uh, lot of stuff around so the NBA. There's so much stuff in the NBA. Again, this is we're gonna again kind of do this PTI style just because there's so much to talk about. Let's start off though with the King situation. So, <sighs> Ty Corbin came to Utah Saturday, had a very nice press conference. Honestly, it was like the most congenial anyone could ever be given that they're about to be fired. I was super surprised. Everybody led me to believe it was going to be some really stonewalled, stoic thing. He was super yeah, great. Yeah, and sometimes it was. I mean, I, I think that was a fair thing to worry about because at the last of the, at the end of last season, he was really defensive. Yeah, yeah. There's just no question about it. He, he was. He called the, the people who didn't agree with what his coaching decisions miserable people, quote-unquote. Mm. Um, you know, was was very salty and yeah but when he came back he seemed legitimately happy to see everyone was like you know i made some great relationships here i I coached here for 10 years i had a great time utah's done so much for me 
And, you know, he was happy to be here despite having a report come out earlier that day that he would no longer be coach of the Kings. I really, I honestly feel really bad for Ty at this point, as does clearly his a number of his players. If you read the DeMarcus yeah. Cousins statement from earlier today, I mean, we were, you know, I was trying to get into the locker room afterwards to ask the players maybe a couple of questions about that situation. And uh, Kings PR came around to all of us and told us no. That's not what we're doing. Where right. there's basketball questions only going on during the during these questions right here, which is understandable. But to me, some of the ways they've been handling this situation are in no way understandable and in no way acceptable. You don't treat your people like this. The the you know Vivek is the new owner there and clearly wants to make his stamp like all new owners want to do. But you're going about it the wrong way. I I yeah. don't think that anyone really approves of the way they're doing this. I mean, Mike Malone was his stamp. It was his choice as coach. Yeah. But then, you know, I I think he's maybe too quick to say that he's made a mistake. Yeah. Um. I mean, definitely with the Mike Malone thing. But regardless, um. So looks like for all intents and purposes, they've hired George Carl from. Basically. It just sounds like the I's need to be dotted and the dot or the T's need to be crossed. But, uh. Do you think George Carl is a good coach? A and B. Do you think he's a good coach for the Sacramento Kings? I do think he's a good coach in general. He's certainly been around long enough to be able to motivate his players and know what to do, know what you need to do from that end of things. As far as a systems coach, there have been questions about him from time to time about certain ends of the floor and things like that. <sighs> to me, whether you're a good coach for the Kings or not, a huge element of that is can you motivate and get along with DeMarcus Cousins and. That's why firing Mike Malone was the most ridiculous thing <laughs> I can think of because the one, the first coach maybe in his entire career, including college, who's yeah. really been able to reach DeMarcus Cousins and then Cousins gets hurt for 12 games and you can him because you lost a few games. Terrible decision. I think we got to move on to other NBA stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, let's move on real quick. Um, but I, I'm with you on that, first of all. I think he's a great coach. I don't think that he's a great fit for Sacramento because he plays with pace and I don't think DeMarcus Cousins yeah, is that player. Yeah. Um, playoff realignment. So this came out that Adam Silver and the NBA is uh, are considering basically changing the playoffs. So instead of having the top eight seeds from each conference, just taking the top 16 teams from both sides of the coasts, I guess, and uh, putting them in one big tournament kind of NCAA style. I like it. Me I too. think best teams should make the playoffs. I don't like seeing teams like Phoenix or New Orleans get left out. You know, we're going to miss out on either Anthony Davis in the playoffs, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, or Jeff Hornacek in the playoffs. And everyone wants to see Jeff Hornacek in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's. <laughs> I think that's. Now, I would enjoy if you could also do a little more schedule balancing, which of course is very tough with all the travel and everything like that involved. But that that would be the ideal system. But even if not. I'm totally for it. Do the 1 through 16. Let the top 16 teams get in regardless of which conference they play in. It's just ridiculous to let in these sub-500 teams in the East every single year. Yeah. In some sense, it just it just makes sense. It's just equitable. There, no one gets no one's feelings get hurt. You mm -hmm. know, if you're an Eastern Conference team, you had a nice ride for a long time. Yep. Uh, Greg Popovich got 1,000 wins yesterday, making him the second coach in NBA history to get 1,000 wins with one team um, or – with at least one team. So Jerry Sloan did coach the Bulls at first, but he did end up getting a thousand wins with the Jazz. That's an impressive accomplishment. Um, Greg Popovich, uh, I mean, I don't know what more to say about the man. Congratulations, Greg. <laughs> Perfect. I just gave it about as much attention as he did. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> that, that's absolutely fair. Um, Memphis has been awesome recently. You wanted to talk about that. 
I just wanted to mention how awesome they are really <laughs> briefly. I knew we had lots of stuff to run through here. They, I really think, by the way, I have, uh, if, ele- if gambling in this hypothetical world were legal, <laughs> I would hypothetically have money on Memphis at 25 to 1 to win the championship, which I am so happy about right now. Ha- 25 to 1. Hypothetically, you did this? Hypothetically, I did this wow. because hypothetically, some ridiculous sports book over the summer had them at <laughs> 25 to 1 when my buddy was in Vegas, hypothetically. And he hypothetically put down money for us on Memphis. And I feel great about Memphis at 25 to 1 right now. You know, allegedly. Uh, alternate universe Ben is probably feeling pretty good about. He things. is. He's. He is. <laughs> I, I, you. You and sports bets, by the way, are, are you're quite good at them. I'm not bad, allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> Blake. Oh, sorry. Let's. Yeah, Blake Griffin. Um, out three to six weeks with the it's shoulder and infe- it's a staph infection, right? Is yeah, it is, on his elbow? Yeah, really weird kind of thing to to be getting, and it's you hope he's all right, of course. Yeah, but I mean, so the, he had the surgery earlier this week, and it turns out that you know he's he's going to be fine. Um, but how how much does this affect the Clippers in the Western standings? I think a bit. I haven't looked at their specific schedule, which is going to be really important during those periods. I think that their cushion was likely enough that they're still going to remain in the playoffs, but you never know. That three, that threesome there of Phoenix, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City is push, are all pushing each other because you can't lose any extra games there or risk falling out altogether. Yeah. Clippers lose a few bad ones in there. We could be looking at them as, as a, at least falling to the seven and maybe seeing if one of those teams could catch them. Yeah, I mean, right now they are currently six and a half games safe, so you probably say that that's okay this but should i mean be fine with the clippers aren't a deep team right they only really have like five nba players yeah now four with with blake at well and he was like one and a half of them in the first place <laughs> anyway so yeah you know they could have a bit of concern but i think that i think they're gonna stay in the playoffs would be my guess yeah i i, I suspect so as well but that being said it's it's worrying and you almost think that they're maybe one of the teams that make a trade deadline move if they had any assets to give Which up to they make, don't but uh, they may be a buyout candidate they could sign a guy at the minimum that's true uh, you just wish they wouldn't have used their assets on austin rivers yep uh, <laughs> as we pointed out, Kyle Korver was named as the replacement to the Eastern Conference All-Star Game. Dwayne Wade is the player hurt that's going to be left out, just FYI. Korver gets in for him. Beautiful. Hooray. Uh, Dean Smith this week passed away at 83. I, I want to talk about Dean Smith for a little bit, because first of all, he was a math major, and so like I feel this Special beating love heart. Andy. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, so, and he really was a pioneer in the basketball analytics field, like was one of the first people to look at points per possession and really use that in a meaningful way. Um, was a clearly just a smart guy, but I also thought it was interesting. Um, David Aldridge, who we, we don't give enough love to, but he does an awesome piece for NBA.com every week, the morning tip Mm -hmm. every Monday. And he pointed out that Dean Smith was, was a racial pioneer in that when he his high school he went to the principal and demanded that the white and black basketball teams be merged into one mm-hmm. on that basketball team was the brown from i believe his name is Oliver Brown from Brown versus Board of Education oh wow okay so are, if you're I talking about like legitimate racial influence in this country dean smith you know i don't want to say too much he is a basketball coach but in terms of doing the right things all the time and then seeing the trickle-down effects of doing those sort of things, Dean Smith was a stand-up guy, a fantastic coach, and, uh, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I I just don't know what more to say. Absolutely. We'll be missed. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace to Dean Smith 100%. You you can't find a bad word about him anywhere from anyone, nor would you want to. Yeah, I mean, he coached Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, Anton Jameson, Vince Carter. I mean, just some huge names over the years. ton of time in North Carolina, again, will be missed. 
Are we going to have time for um, LOL Lakers? Sorry to skip from the... <laughs> yeah, from... no, we will. Um, Tyson Chandler out against the Jazz tomorrow. I should point that out. Right. Um, yeah, let's do LOL Lakers. Real can quick. We get, can we get the drop? There's not that much in Lakerland, but regardless. The first name thing I think is interesting is Lakers fans have been talking about Kevin Love for so long as like this guy who's available as a free agent this offseason that will save their careers. And, and he basically answered in an interview this uh, this week that... He would not be returning to. He why, would not be going he, to LA. Why in the world would you ever go back there to see, to play with Kobe's bladed, tw- bloated twenty four and a half million dollar <laughs> contract and no other valuable assets beyond Julius Randle, who were who you know got hurt and we're not sure what he's going to be in future years. Why would you ever consider that when, or you could sign a one year deal and stick around with the best player in the world and try and win a championship? Kobe like, is the best player in the world. I, right, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, another fun note today uh, from Zach Lowe, Swaggy P, Mr. Nick Young himself. Um, I, don't, I think that's the wrong order of how you do nicknames. But regardless, yeah. shooting 36% from two-point shots. On twos. On twos. That's impossible. That's seriously ridiculous. And Zach noted how despite this, he seems to love to stand there and admire every single one his of his 36% shots. 36% shot. As his defender leaks out and gets a fast break on the other end. God, this guy's a clown. But he's made himself into a legend. I mean, Ugh. it's an entertainment sport, Ben. I guess. I I still like him. Yeah. He smiles more than any other player in the NBA. Magic Johnson said earlier today too that he's paying 300,000 for his luxury suite so the Lakers better start winning soon. Yeah, his comments were kind of interesting. He I th- he said a couple things about Bus maybe taking some accountability, some things like that admitting when he's wrong, things like that. Just more and more fun in Lakerland. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> they are Sadly, not at all sadly, not very well off. Yep. All right, that's your LOL Lakers segment. Sorry, just had to get that in every week. Uh, every week I still think that like maybe there won't be enough to talk about in Lakerland, <laughs> and then week every is. week they have some sort of explosion that makes them even sadder. Yep. So anyway, one other thing uh, in around the NBA, there were two trades made today that I just want to get your opinions on really quick, both of them involving the Minnesota Timberwolves. So first of all, uh, Charlotte traded Gary Neal and a 2019 second-round pick for Mo Williams. Troy Daniels and some cash. Your thoughts on that deal? I think it's fairly standard. I th- <laughs> <laughs> fairly standard deal. Honestly, both yeah. teams just kind of swapping things that they both needed. Maybe they like Gary Neal a little better and Charlotte like Mo Williams no, I mean, a little better. And Mo Williams is going to help Charlotte's playoff push a little. Gary Neal wasn't doing a whole lot over there for them. Yeah. Mo Williams, a better shooter, kind of can create his own shot a lot more efficiently. So he'll help them off their bench for sure. Behind, That's exactly it. Walker. Yep. Yeah. And, and actually, Minnesota's probably going to be waving Gary Neal, so that'll be interesting. Or at least buying him out. Yep. Um, so this trade's all about that second round pick for them and giving Zach Levine more time. Mm-hmm. And then they also traded a first round pick, which I thought was way too much to give for uh, Adrian Payne from the Atlanta Hawks. He was a 15th pick in this year's draft. Yeah, it's a, it's a lottery protected 2017 first round pick. But I mean, still, he wasn't even picked in the lottery, was he? I think he was no. just outside of it. This, this last year, and he's 23. That's the thing is, I thought he was drafted high, and then uh, a lot of a rookie's potential actually comes in that first year, especially with someone as old as Adrian Payne. When you draft a 23-year-old, you hope that he's able to contribute immediately. Yeah. And that he hasn't for the Hawks kind of limits any upside potential that he has for the Timberwolves to be giving future first-round picks when that team is as bad as they are for Adrian Payne. Even if they turn into only a couple of seconds, it's still not a good deal in my eyes. Yeah, it seems a little weird. He was picked 15th, so technically one pick outside the lottery but that yeah right i don't like the math for them i don't know why i don't know why they did that yeah i i don't either i think it's one of those flip saunders as coach and then also gm kind of yep. weirdnesses that you get when you have one man running both of those very disparate roles entirely possible 
Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got the All-Star Weekend coming up, so we're going to be giving our predictions on how that turns out this Saturday and Sunday. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett over there. Um, ben Dowsett extraordinaire. Ben Dowsett extraordinaire over here. Over there, yeah. I, I keep saying over on the other side of the table, but you're, you're more than me. More than that to me. <laughs> more than the guy on the other side of the table. That means a lot, Andy. Um, uh, so, All-Star Weekend is this weekend. First of all, do you like All-Star Weekend? I I, I'm a big have, fan. I typically have mixed opinions on it. This year is about as stoked as I've been because I think both the three-point contest and the the rookie-sophomore game with the new format are going to be their, the most interesting they've been in at least five years. Yeah, no, I, I think that's reasonable. I, th- I think this three-point contest is, is the best ever. I, I like the All-Star Weekend because, like, in some sense, it almost settles some like debates that I want to have as a ten-year-old. Like, That's, yeah, okay. I want to know who the best dunker is. Yeah. I want to know if Giannis can dunk better than Zach Levine. And you know, maybe those aren't the players that the ten-year-olds are talking about. But yeah. I, I, I want to know who's a better shooter between Steph Curry and Kyle Korver. Like, I, I, I like that aspect of the NBA's All Star Weekend. Yeah, um, I, I, it just needs to be better than last year. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Last year was like the worst year I've watched in a while for yeah. that combined. The formats were bad last year. I think that's been largely fixed. Um, and, and the pacing will be was bad last year. Yep. I think that was probably not fixed. No. And uh, you know, Kevin Hart's probably prominently involved. But oh, gosh, why did you have to remind me about that? I'm sorry. Oh man. Or whatever. We'll still I'll be get watching. Through it. I'll put it on mute for the parts he's on. It's okay. <laughs> so let's let's go through these next. The the, the five all-star game contests that are that are worth talking about. Um, I'm, I'm leaving you out the higher shooting stars or whatever you're sponsored by now. And uh, <laughs> the one where they shoot from half court all the time. Yeah, which, uh, which I do favorite. think is fun. Like, I do like them taking half court shots, but I have no idea who's going to make it. And that's the entire thing. Yep. So let's start with the skills challenge. There are some really good guards in this one. Who do you have winning? So, first of all, I want to note that it's bracket style this year, which yeah. I think is really cool, That's by fun. the way. I, yeah. I actually didn't realize that until earlier today when I was looking it up. That So, basically, it's going to be Trey Burke versus Brandon Knight in the first round. Winner there plays winner of Jimmy Butler versus Kyle Lowry. Then on the other side, it's Jeff Teague versus Michael Carter-Williams. And uh, Isaiah Thomas versus Patrick Beverly, who replaced John Wall. It was going to be John Wall originally. Winners play each other. Winners play each other again in the final. My final that I have... Brackets it, for anything is great. I know. I, I just love brackets, especially for something like this. Uh, my my final that I have is going to be uh, Isaiah Thomas versus Trey, and I have Isaiah Thomas taking it. Sorry, Trey. I, I don't think people ever repeat at things like this, because, and I base that on absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, and, no, it's just kind of luck, right? Yeah, I'm picking Isaiah Thomas. I'm on the record. But I, I think I don't think Trey will do as well because now the last shot is a three-point shot rather oh, than no. a layup. So now he has to make two of them, and I'm just not as <laughs> Can I change, can I change worried. my pick? Because <laughs> uh, in that case, I kind of like Lowry because he's the best three-point shooter of the That's group. That's reasonable, yeah. I, I think he might be a good pick. I actually have Jeff Teague. He's good, too. Um, he's been really really great this year he's fast he's he's shown an ability to put the passes on a dime like he, and and he is able to shoot so uh, now i'm sticking with it though i'm going with thomas he's the one i have written down so that's okay. what i'm going with. yeah no, die hard i mean it's, yep. yeah okay 
Uh, next one, and I think this is the most interesting one, is actually the three-point contest. Yep. And, and the names in this contest are incredible. You've got Steph Curry. You've got Klay Thompson. You've got Kyle Korver. I mean, you, you really do have the NBA's best three-point shooters. Yeah, and Wesley Matthews, J.J. Redick, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Bellinelli, yeah. who won it a couple of years ago, didn't he, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, I believe so, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think he won it. All right, so who do you have? I have Steph Curry. I, I think his quick release helps him here, and I think he's just a lights-out shooter. I mean, yeah. I have uh, I love that reasoning, and I have Clay Thompson for the have those exact reasons. <laughs> I think I actually think Clay's release is a little quicker than Steph's in terms of the uh, keeping the ball up high and getting it out a little bit faster. And okay. he, as we saw in that thirty-seven point outburst, he has the ability to kind of just go off randomly. And I'm just basing my my prediction on the fact that I think it's going to happen See, right I at think, that point. And I have no data for this whatsoever, but oh, I yeah. think Clay may be a streak shooter, whereas Steph is more consistent. just an always shooter. And yeah. I think that you know, if it's not Clay's day, then true, Curry may take it. I'm surprised you didn't mention Kyle Korver, though, because he, I, I, I think he is the best shooter in the NBA. Yeah, it's just I didn't want to make the obvious pick. Because, yeah, because it I, seems but... like every year there's one guy that you think should definitely win based on percentages, and he never seems to win. Right. And that's the reason why I didn't do that. I, I think Kyle Korver would be the, I mean, I think you'd have to be basically one-to-one odds to bet Kyle Korver on that contest. In hypothetical gambling world, are you betting on Kyle Korver? No. See, that's the other, <laughs> that's the other reason why I didn't make that pick, is that I would definitely take the field over. Kyle Korver okay. in this contest. Well, yeah, so. no, I, I I absolutely agree, but I don't think the odds would be one to one. I think yeah. it'd be like five to one. But yeah. anyway, dunk contest. So the NBA has done something fun where, where they're using a lot of young players. We've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, we've got Mason Plumley, we've got Zach Levine. Uh, who am I forgetting? Oladipo. Oladipo. Thank you, Victor Oladipo, who again is super athletic. Uh, who did you have? I have Giannis because. I think he's going to do something that isn't necessarily going to be the most ridiculous dunk, but it's going to be the freakiest looking. Yeah. And that's going to win over the, the judges and the crazy. Is this, uh, remind me, are they doing the fan vote this year? Or no, how? they, they are. They've, they've got actual judges. the format. So they've got the judges. They've got the multiple rounds. This is exactly what you want the format of the dunk contest. I just think Giannis is going to do a couple of ridiculous freak things that no one thinks a human should be able to do. And that those are, whether or not they're actually more spectacular dunks, than the other guys. I think Levine will actually have the best dunk, and I think he's the favorite, but I I think Giannis is going to win people in terms of the popularity contest. Yeah, and Giannis is just the most cute individual ever. I mean, it's cute something a a sports radio host is allowed to say, John, like, I'm a male. Can I say cute and adorable on this show? I think you can. I would lean no, but... Well, just it did, happened. So. Giannis it walks to practice every day. He uses all of his NBA money and sends it back to Africa for his family. Like he smiles a second more than uh, the second most of any NBA player besides Swaggy P. Uh, like I, I just, I just love that guy. He's still growing. Yeah, I think, I think he wins it because he steals our hearts. Basically, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what that's I'm saying. That's the best possible reason. Yep. Yeah. Who do you? Oh, sorry. Who Sports do you have? Radio. Everyone. We didn't ask you. Who no, do you have it's Giannis. Oh, I've got Giannis too. Okay. And maybe that's wish casting more than anything else. Because you're right. I don't think he's the best dunker. No, I think Levine is, is clearly the best again, dunker of that most, group. The most adorable. I think if you gave them, you know, my oh, my ideal <laughs> scenario because I love sample sizes. Give each guy fifty dunks, and then we rate each one individually. I know that no, time constraints don't yeah, make this everyone, possible, but like 
in a room where we couldn't see them all, but you could look them up on video later. Each guy gets 50 dunks. We rate each one of them individually <laughs> in the best cumulative score. And I think in that format, Levine wins almost every time. Uh, well, your format is ridiculous. It's like that one dunk contest Birdman did where he tried to dunk it for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the rookie sophomore game because I, the, this year they've changed it to that USA versus world format. Who do you have winning? In a, now, I like to analyze this and the actual All-Star game as if it was going to be played as a real competitive basketball game, not just a dunk contest, which it's not, but I like to analyze it that way. And in that hypothetical, I think the world wins by a huge margin. Really? I think the world's a much better team. I, I think if I think their bigs are massively superior yeah. to the bigs that they... And frankly, their guards may be also... I don't know. Wiggins and Giannis, I mean, we, I mean, they're not both guards, but sort of wing players. That's your problem, though, is who's your ball carrier? Because if it's Dante Exum, I think he struggles. That's true I think Wiggins and and Giannis can do enough of it and it's not like there's anybody that's really going to be killing them maybe Schroeder to a certain point but I mean Trey Burke isn't going to be getting out there and getting mad steals or anything like that (laughs) um I I, and and I think the advantage that the world has in terms of bigs is massive yeah really really big so I think they have a lot of like length and defensive ability yeah and so I unlike you didn't cheat I I thought this would be a dunk contest? How, yeah, a dunk contest. And I'm looking at this ro- these rosters and think that like Rudy Gobert is not all that useful. In a I dunk think, contest? In yeah. a dunk contest. Uh, even though like he can dunk, I don't think that like his rim protection will help. That's true. So ultimately, I think USA wins it because of the better guard play. I think in an up-and-down game like this, the guard play matters more, and the USA has much better guards. That's fair enough. And, my, yeah, again, my analysis is all just basically like if it was a real game. And if it was a real game, oh. try scoring on Schroeder, Wiggins, Giannis, Nurkic, Gobert lineup. Yeah, like, that's hard. Good luck. Um, <laughs> the All-Star game itself. Yeah. Who do you have? You I have first. the West. I mean, the West is just so much better. David Locke pointed this out earlier this week that, like, who is the second best player in the East? Yeah, no, I saw that. Uh, who? Do you, uh, who? I don't know. It's probably John Wall, maybe Kyle Lowry. One of those two, And those guys are like somewhere between 12th and 15th in terms of complete overall NBA player rankings, right? So, like, I can name 10 Western Conference players that are better than John Wall. Yeah, so... I went ahead and did this the exact same way where I analyzed who I thought would win in a real game, like where they were really trying their hardest and with and including the coaches in it as well. Okay. And pick the East for the reason that you pick the East. Yeah. Because and again, you know, I'm just having fun with it. Don't attack me, people. But the the. You can run now that Kyle Korver's in the game. You can run four, all four <laughs> Hawks plus LeBron, which to me is just like, That's oh god, the, <laughs> I've died and gone to heaven, like that, you know. And but with Budenholzer coaching them, and you know it would take LeBron five seconds to pick up the stuff those guys yeah, are doing he, he offensively. Can fit the Damari Carroll. I mean, he's Damari Carroll, except the best player in the world. Like just you know, <laughs> th- there you go. And I think okay. that if you were playing again, if you were playing a real game where you were really caring about winning, you could run that lineup for your most important minutes and like just try stopping those guys i like, think you may have won me over with that like yeah. the hawks lineup uh, currently the second best team in the league but with lebron instead of damari like you know sure the the western conferences all-stars are great but they don't have that kind of cohesiveness no exactly so that's where that but i i in terms of what the game will be which is a dunk contest like you said i agree i picked the, i would take the west i love i just like imagining the hawks but with lebron instead of damari yep I, <laughs> I bet they do, too, because so they tried fun. to get him over the summer. All right, well, let's go ahead and take our final break. But then on the other side, we're going to be talking about the jazz schedule coming up, as well as something big in jazz history happened on the state four years ago. We'll be talking about that next. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. 
analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, Ben Dowsett over here. Um, so, first of all, I just want to, before we get into the, what happened four years ago, uh, James Harden just put up an incredible stat line that just has to be shared. He uh, On 43 minutes tonight, he scored 40 points, put up 12 rebounds, 9 assists, 3 steals on only 23 shots. And 14 trips to the free throw line, which is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Although it's not even that far above his is average. He, no, that's a joke. I mean, so, so he's probably not number one MVP, but is he number two? I think he's still probably number two, pretty convincingly. Who's, it's, who's your number three? Man, it's getting really convoluted up there because I think LeBron should absolutely be in the conversation, but how can you leave Anthony Davis out at the same time? And Marcus Gasol is really awesome, and I still think Damian Lillard is really awesome. I don't know that he's quite in that top five MVP anymore like he may have been a month ago, which I, I did rank him when I did that piece. Yeah, you had him like third, didn't I you? I had him third at the time. I definitely wouldn't have him there now. I think a lot's changed, but I mean, I do think still Steph 1, Harden 2 is pretty... Although honestly, Harden is making a taking a run at Steph, huh. but uh, you look at certain things like Steph's RPM numbers compared to any other player in the league. He's he's dominant in terms of when you factor in his opponents and his and his teammates as well, and average everything out like RPM kind of does to a certain degree. I, I still think it's Steph for now, but it's not a foregone conclusion at this point. Like he has to keep it up, or he could be caught by one or two players. True, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. As we've talked about before, this NBA season is one of the most fun in years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so four years ago today was the day Jerry Sloan officially resigned. The Jazz did the press conference uh, that announced that Jerry Sloan was resigning, uh, resigning and uh, Phil Johnson was as well, and Ty Corbin would be the new head coach of the Utah Jazz. It seems like longer ago than four years. It really does. I remember where I was, crazily. I'm not for the press conference, so it would have been yesterday that I remember where I was. But okay. I remember when I started hearing the news about it, and I remember how shocked I was. And, yeah, it, it was a really, really you, – you, yeah. you just figured that Jerry would be here forever. You know? Yeah, Jerry Sloan had been coach of the Utah Jazz for longer than I had been alive. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, when something like that changes – uh, it it really affects you. Like yeah. I, I took that day off of school. Like I really, yeah, I okay, did. I, I mean, that far. I I just skipped class. I was like, it's Jerry Sloan day. I'm sad, man. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> okay, I can't do this. Jerry quit. I've got a good reason. I can take one day off of class. Yeah, and it, you know, you go back to the actual circumstances surrounding it, and that that great article that Jody Ganesi wrote uh, involving. You know, Greg Miller's explanation of the events that led up to it, kind of the thing that happened at halftime with Darren Williams and continuing to be petulant and that whole thing. And and Jerry pretty much just telling Greg right then, like, I'd like to have a word with you after the game. And in a sense, that's exactly how you'd expect Jerry to do it. Right. No, no big fanfare. No ridiculous thing. I was so surprised that he did it midseason. I would, that, that is the one part of it that did surprise me because I think he knows that, you know, deep down that that kind of hurt the team a little bit. But at the same time, he's just one of those guys who when he's done, he's done. And that, you know, I think he said that almost those exact words in his press conference, like when he knows and once he knows, that's it. And, you know, thanks a lot, by the way, Darren Williams. We uh, we really appreciate <laughs> that. I hope you're having a fun season over there in Brooklyn. Uh, thank you, backup point guard for the Brooklyn Nets, yeah, yeah, making exactly. $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. I mean, I, I love Jerry, and I, I think so. It's I think it's so sad yet so poignant that he's still going to every Jazz game as a season ticket holder, and like that he's still around the team. The other thing I thought was fun slash sad, so I guess fun slash sad doesn't really work. But 
He sold his tractors afterwards. He That's sold his tractors too. like a year later. It's like, yeah. I knew this man loved two things, basketball and tractors, and he lost both of them in 18 months. Like, Sad. Uh, but he technically he hasn't lost guess jazz basketball. And yeah. he, like you say, he's there all the time. That remains the biggest rush he's for me, t- by the way. I ways. mean, he is hired by the organization. He is yeah, officially helping the, the team, team as yeah. as a kind of a coach coordinator, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I've walked by him a couple times now in the hall, and that's still a far bigger rush than walking by any of the players or anything yeah. like that. Like, a far bigger rush. It's it's really cool. He's a legend. And, you know, we still love you, Jerry. We didn't, nothing's changed. I, I think he knows that. I think everyone knows that. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, I, yeah I, I just have so many good memories with Jay Slow, and I think he's... <laughs> Let's go ahead and <laughs> let him play. You. Thank you, John. <laughs> This has been a really heartfelt last 10 minutes of the show. Really we talk been. about the cute and adorable NBA players. We talk about the sad and and really heartbreaking Jerry Sloan experience. Um, talk about Darren Williams' departure. I mean, l- let's take a moment and let let a tear out. Okay, I'm done. It already happened. <laughs> it already happened. All right. So we've got one game left until our next show we do have a show next tuesday despite the all-star break which is good because it'll be two days until the trade deadline and boy will we had a lot to talk about today i imagine we'll have a lot to talk about then something may have happened but um, who knows <laughs> exactly well we have had two trades to talk about today real life i mean trades, ja- i meant jazz wise yeah, yeah. jazz wise something may have happened so um but that game is tomorrow against the dallas mavericks dallas has always given the jazz fits but now maybe they're not the offense that they were earlier in the season no is, is by the way sorry i should know this but is rondo still out are they still missing him? I believe he's playing. He's going to play tomorrow? Okay. I, I'm not positive. Now, I know Tyson Chandler is going to be out, which is – that's a thing for the Jazz. That's uh, – that, I think, means that, you know, the fact that they were already, beyond Dirk, of course, a little bit thin at the bigs because they had to move Brandon Wright in that Rondo Sorry, deal. Sorry, take that back. Rondo is out. Rondo's out. Okay. So, you know – I still would pick, would definitely pick Dallas to win the game, but you know Chandler is a big deal for them defensively. He's a really big deal, actually, and I, I yeah. think there's a, I think that gives the Jazz the clear advantage at the big positions, even despite Dirk. And I think that we're going to see a ton of Gobert. By the way, we saw go, how effectively he played against Lamarcus Aldridge. I think his thing is very similar for a guy like Dirk, that he's one of the best guys in the league to guard that type of player. Uh, uh, you know, it's not like Dirk can back him down in the block necess- and overpower him strength wise necessarily, where, but Rudy's got enough speed and 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 well speed. Sorry yeah. to to cha- to get out on pick and rolls, challenge him, make it so he's not just shooting an endless array of three pointers and mid range shots that he's a master of. I think it's actually going to be a pretty pretty decent game. The trade is interesting because it makes Dallas so much shallower. I didn't like um, it at the time, and I still don't. And so when you have two injuries like this, I think they're a much worse team as a result than they would have been two months ago. Absolutely, and these things happen. I And that all that, even without injuries, I didn't like it. I just don't, I don't like Rondo all that much as a, like, he does, sure, he's a great defender. He does, he's a great, one of the best passers in the league, if not the best, can steal the ball, things like that, has good height. But frankly, what they had was working yeah. really well, and now it's not working quite as well anymore. It's like, true. I, I didn't like the trade at all. I still don't. I, I think it's going to hurt them long term. Do you, we'll you think they lose and get the Jazz to a three-game winning streak? Uh, it's entirely possible. It's definitely not, especially with Chandler missing. I, I, I think it's totally possible. If I if I was just picking against the, you know a money line pick, I would pick Dallas to win the game because in, it's in Dallas. In, in an alternate universe in which gambling is In an alternate illegal. universe in which, in which I gambled, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, think I, take, I think I take Dallas to win too. But that being said, the Jazz have played well. I think it is the sort of game that they can win and go into the, the long All-Star. Break the next jazz game. Next jazz home game is the twentieth of February. Uh, 
some some positive momentum moving forward. Yeah, and I think Hayward uh, proves why he's worth so much more than Chandler Parsons and why Chandler Parsons was the <laughs> real ridiculous contract over the Fair summer, enough. not Gordon Hayward. I like it. All right, well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. That's our show. Check us out, by the way, on saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. We had some great trade ideas, so this entire show will be uploaded to Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700, Stitcher, and iTunes. Again, check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again so much for listening. You've been listening to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700.